All right, good evening, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day, baby, and to the rest of you. Um, we are going to pray and jump right in. Are you ready? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and what you are in our life. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for loving us first, Lord. We thank you that, that everything you do for us, you do out of love. We thank you, Lord, that even your judgment and your wrath is done from a place of love. And so, Father, for that, we just thank you so very, very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, we're going to uh, continue looking at um, finding your place in the kingdom and last week we talked about, well, where is our place in the kingdom? First off, we had to know where we're situated in the kingdom. Well, the kingdom is in us. So in the area of the kingdom that he has given us, you know, we're set to, to rule and, and to reign in that. And uh, folks, God's desire is, ha, is and always has been for man to remember and to recall that he is created like him. He wants man to operate like him. He wants man to, uh, to do things like that. And, and folks, it is our divine nature to operate in the kingdom of earth. And so let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we go to these, chapter, these verses a lot, uh, but that's because they're good. Right, Jody? <laughs> <laughs> Y'all didn't just see the look I just got. <laughs> uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Um, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So man was created for dominion. He was created to operate his first existence, the first thing when he started talking about man was dominion. I think we miss that sometimes. The first thing that he says, let us make man one to look like us, be like us, and act like us. Two, let him have dominion. Ted, I don't know how we miss that all the time. People say, well, we don't agree with this dominion theology. Well, you don't agree with humanity. Try that over here. Somebody needs to get that. Then you can't agree with humanity. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Over what? <coughs> over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth and everything that creepeth on the earth. Um. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and what? Subdue it. How can we not believe in the dominion mindset of man? It's the, it's the very first thing he said I want man to do. First, they're going to look like me, be like me. Then I want them to have dominion. He said, then I want them to fill the earth, and I want them to subdue the earth. If you're looking for a version, there's not one this week. So, is there? 
I don't think so. I don't think I did it. It's been a busy week. <laughs> he said, let them subdue the earth and have dominion. In these three verses, we're already talking about subduing dominion again. He said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, heavens, over everything that creeps and moves on the earth. That word there, dominion, in the ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible, it says that dominion is this. It is a ruler or one who walks among the people. See, we got to understand when God calls us to have dominion, he's not calling us to think we're better than people. That word dominion is a ruler who walks among the people. Man, that lie, that's good stuff. It's a ruler who walks among the people in a sense of spreading out rather than rule on a throne alone. So the job of man, that's why he said, let them subdue the earth. So the job of man to have dominion over the earth is to walk among the earth and cause the kingdom to spread out, not sit in one place and just start making commands and demands, decrees and declares. And there's nothing wrong with decrees and declares, but we have to get out. We have to spread out among the people, among the things of the earth. And from there make decrees and declares. And from there begin to t operate in our dominion. Not just sit back here in an elevated throne. But that's the ancient Hebrew. Uh, Brown Drivers and Briggs definition of this word says it means to rule, to have dominion, to dominate, to tread down, or to subjugate. Now that's what he says for us to do to the earth. To rule it. To have dominion, to dominate it, to tread it down, and to subjugate it. The Complete Word Study Dictionary of the Bible says theologically, that word dominion, theologically significant is the use of this word to identify people's God-ordained relationship to the created world around them. Man, alive. So when we understand... Man was created in the image and the likeness of God to be like him. Now, so what happened? Well, we know what happened. Mankind mistreated the kingdom. We actually gave it over. But then Jesus came to show man what man was originally supposed to do, originally supposed to be. This is wiped on water. This is why he healed the sick. This is why he raised the dead. This is why, because the nature, the rules of nature don't apply to the one who created the nature. And he told man, dominate it, subjugate it. Well, I just don't know if I can believe that dominion theology. And you'll hear a lot of people say, you cannot believe it because it is how you're made. It is who we are as a, as, a, as a creation. So the kingdom is the domain of the king. And the Lord told Adam and Eve to have dominion. God gave man his authority over the earth. When he breathed into man and man became a speaking spirit, he gave mankind his dominion over the earth. 
It's still in play. That's why God didn't come down and just wipe out everything and redeem everything. He had to come as a man. So that he could show that man... He could show that man had authority over this. Even... See, folks, we got to understand, this is why we know that Adam gave up his authority because he could have fixed things in the garden. That was his command was to have dominion over the earth. He could have fixed that, but he didn't. So after a couple thousand years, we have the birth of Jesus, the last Adam, He's called the last Adam for a reason. In other words, this is, there's not going to be another one. But what did he do? He stood in a room with his, with his disciples, and the word says he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And he left that dominion with me. He gave that dominion in a breath in the garden, and he returned that dominion in a breath. Standing in front of his disciples. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then 40 days later, he's standing on the side of a mountain. He disappears. They're all standing there with their mouths gaped open watching. And then they all are gathered together in one mind and one accord. And there come a sound of the wind again. Releasing of authority. My goodness. Romans chapter 5. And this ain't even the this ain't even the meat of the message today. This is introduction. Romans chapter 5. I know, I'm pumped. I'll go home now. Romans chapter 5, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, we know that's Adam. So if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the results of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. In other words, there was all kinds of sin, Idra, but there was one gift that took care of it all. There was going to be many more sins, but one gift took care of it all. For if by one, verse 17, for if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, what will it say you'll do? Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Reign in life. Again, so now we start out in, in the garden with have dominion over the earth, subdue the earth, have dominion over the earth. Now here we are in Romans where he's talking to a bunch of believers. He said, because of one man, sin came into the earth. But because of one man, now you can reign, have dominion again. In life through the one man, through Jesus. But here's the thing, guys. For the most part, the church, <coughs> excuse me, 
the church and, and the Jews of Jesus today look almost identical. <laughs> They're both looking for God to set up a physical kingdom. Wait on the kingdom of God. Wait on the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God's already here. Jesus said, we talked about it last week, it's in you. Waiting on God to set up a kingdom. And they want it to be a kingdom of power. It already is. Kingdom of worship. Already is. Kingdom of might. But here's the thing. The Jews are still looking for this king. And the church is still waiting for this king to come back. We look awful lot alike. Rather than understand that we are now set in a kingdom that cannot, like we talked about last week, we are now set in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's not easy to be over, overturned or overthrown. But here's the problem. We're both missing the point. The kingdom is established now. Well, you're a kingdom now guy. I absolutely am. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He didn't come to start some crazy religion. He came to say, this is a kingdom. And I'm giving you dominion. And according to what that said in the ancient Hebrew, is not one who sits on a throne and just looks at everything, but one who actually gets out among the creation and spreads that kingdom throughout. But what I want to look at tonight, that's our intro to kingdom. <laughs> what I want to look at tonight is a king's attitude. It's a blueprint for a kingdom life. Revelations, and you, uh, we can go there if you want, but uh, what is it? Revelations chapter 5, where he says, and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we think that, we think he's talking about presidents and earthly kings. He's not. He's talking about kings those who are set up in a kingdom. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. You and I are those kings. You and I are those lords that he's talking about in the book of Revelations. But here's the thing. What is our attitude when we understand that we're a kingdom? Attitude is real important. Webster's 1828 dictionary says this about attitude. It's a posture. It's a position of things or persons. So what is our posture? Well, I think the apostles are a great example of what most, <coughs> excuse me, what most people's posture is in the kingdom. Go, if you will, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Give me a water, please. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Look what he says here. He says, and James and John, I love this. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. You have to catch what they are actually saying. Rabbi, teacher, we want you to do whatever we want to ask of you. That's a big ask. He said, we want you to do whatever you want. Uh, we want you to do what, whatever we ask, thank you, ask of you. And Jesus, I'm sure he was laughing, said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? And look, now remember, 
What, go back to the ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible. What is that dominion? Rather than one who sits on the throne, it's one who actually gets out and spreads that kingdom. Look what they ask for, though. Grant us to sit. Why do you think Jesus said, look at the fields? They're white with harvest. Pray that he had sent laborers to... You realize he was telling them to pray for themselves. So don't you see the fields are white with red? Well, you might as well pray that somebody goes out and get them. But if we understood our dominion understanding that it was one who goes out and spreads, look what he said. One of us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And that's where most churches want to be. That's where most, not churches, that's where most believers want to be. I'm going to sit right here. I'm going to bask in the glory of God. I'm not going to go out here and touch you because you're dirty, you're filthy, you're rotten, you're awful. I know how you live. You live below me. Oh, I know what you do when nobody's looking, so I'm going to sit up here. We're just like the, that lady that came into my church, swung both doors open and said, don't touch me. I am holy. You know, we laugh at that. I had somebody catch me at the back door Sunday and talk about how much church hurt they have had because they've had leaders and elders go, don't touch me right now, don't touch me right now, don't touch me right now. Well, what's, what kind of mentality is this? i tell you what kind of mentality is this. We build churches and we build green rooms. For guests and pastors and everybody else. And I understand, sometimes you have to protect the anointing. Because as a pastor, Emily, there are times that people will catch me as I am right here. I got one foot up, going to step on that stage, and they want to complain. And I'm like... <sighs> so I get it. I understand, especially when people are, are, are famous. There are, but, but when are we going to realize that if we're going to really have dominion... We're going to get out into it. And we're going to decree and declare from in here rather than from up there where nobody can touch me and I can't get dirty by your filth. Oh, can you tell where my mind is lately? <laughs> Should have been here for prayer today. It was something else. Um, jump down to verse 42. And Jesus called them. Now, this is everything he said. Jesus told him, he said, look, you can't go where I'm going. He said, You've got to, you, you, you're not able to drink the cup I'm drinking. You're not able to go through the baptism that I'm going to go through. And they said, oh, sure we are. We're just as good as you, Jesus. We can handle it. The pitfalls of familiarity. Not under, oh, God, I'm not understanding what our leaders go through. Well, they put their pants on one leg at a time just like I do. Moving on, that's a whole other series. Verse 42, and Jesus called them to him and said, you know those who are considered the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them? 
Dee and I was at a, a, a major conference one time. I mean, very, very famous people there. We go out to eat one night, and I look around, and I see, oh, man, this place is full of people who are at the conference. We knew that because they still had their name badges on. You know, the Heim, so-and-so. So we go in, and we sit down at this table, and I'm just kind of watching, and all of a sudden, it gets loud. And I thought, oh, what's going on in here? Like every other curious human being does. <laughs> well, I looked over, and people from the conference were just berating this poor waitress. Don't you know who I am? Do you not know who we are? I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. You're somebody I ain't going to deal with no more. But that's just me. Um, and look what he says to them. He said, the, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Look, at, you ready? Let's pull the rug out from our kingdom theology minds because we have a different mindset. Verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. Your dominion is never an excuse to abuse another person. I don't know how many times I hear people talk about my, the toxic churches they grew up in and the spiritual abuse that they happened and that went, that went on under them and all of this stuff. I like what he says there. He said the Gentiles, they lord it over and have authority and exercise authority over their people. He said, but among you, we're talking about the attitude of a king. It's the blueprint for a kingdom life. He said, but it won't be so among you. Yes, sir. <laughs> Said it won't be so among you. Where am I at? Verse 43? 44? I'm trying to find it. I hit the wrong button. Um, 43, there we go. But it will not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. So for us to be great in this kingdom, Jeff, can I brag on you a little bit? Okay. I'm sitting in my office. Jeff never comes to see me. And I look up and I see this Monte Carlo pull up on the parking lot yesterday. I said, who's that? I forgot he had that car. He gets out and he comes in and he says, hey, now I'm not above this. I'm not beyond this. I've done this and do this. He said, give me the names of everybody we got in nursing homes. He said, I'm going to take some things off you and I'm going to go see them. That's greatness. You don't think so, bub. I know you don't. That's greatness. Because he said, whoever's going to be great is going to be a servant. We find ways to serve. If we want a blueprint for a kingdom life in our life, we find ways to serve. I got a ton of people in this church that if I just mention something, I know it gets done. And I don't ever think about it. Karen's one, Emily's one. Bob, poor Bob, been here four hours today. 
trying to put something together that I asked him to put together. Rachel, I mean, like I said, I'm not going to start naming names because I got, I got tons. If I name names, I'm going to miss them. These people are just happen to be sitting in front of me, okay? Uh, he said, but this won't be among you. You're not going to exercise that authority over people. For whoever was going to be great among you must be a servant. Verse 44. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And I know our mentality and our great bald eagle, <laughs> red, white, and blue mentality, I ain't a slave to nobody. We already broke out of that. It's because we don't understand that word. Now, King James Version, I think it, calls it, it says minister, if any of you is reading it. Will be minister or servant of all. Thayer's says this about that word slave there, or minister, or whatever your translation says. It says, metaphorically, it's one who gives himself up to another's will. Man. So if you're going to be first... In this kingdom life, you're going to give yourself up to another's will. Hey, Karen, you know why this is called meat? It's hard to swallow. If we're going to be first in, we're going to have to give ourselves up. And the first one we're going to give ourselves up to, and really the only one I'm giving my will up to, is God. But it's funny what he has me do. <laughs> Thayer's goes on to say, it's devoted to another to the disregard of one's own self-interest. That's hard. It's devoted to another and disregarding my own self-interest. So if we're going to be great in the kingdom, it's not going to be how well I can speak in tongues and interpret. Although that's Part of the kingdom. It's not going to be how many heads I lay hands on and see them healed, although that's part of the kingdom. It's not going to be how often I prophesy, though that's part of the kingdom. If I really want a blueprint for a kingdom life, Jeff, I have to give my will up for one of another and I have to stop looking out for my own interests. <laughs> Complete word study dictionary says of that word, it says metaphorically, it's spoken of voluntary service, not involuntary servitude. So a slave, a minister, a servant there is voluntary. You Listen, you're going to have to volunteer for this. And by your volunteerism, if that's a word, it puts us in a place of greatness in the kingdom. Isn't that what he said? If whoever's going to be great, it's going to be a servant of all. Same word. It's going to be one who puts his interest aside for the interests of another. It's going to be one who, uh, uh, anyhow, go back. He said, metaphorically, it's, it's spoken of voluntary service, a servant implying obedience and devotion. It goes on to say that the word that is most akin to this is the word deacon. The word that is most akin to this meaning is, meaning is the word deacon. Isn't it something? I, th I thought about Katie asking that day. Verse 45. Are you getting anything out of this? Verse 45. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus' whole purpose was never to be served, but to be a servant. And to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to be like Jesus. I just want to be like Jesus. I just want to be like Jesus. Then be a servant. Then be a servant. Be one who gives up their interests for the interests of another. You know what I've always found, O.D.? Every time I give up my interest, and I say, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Somehow, everything that I've been praying for all of a sudden starts falling on my lap. And I'm like, where did this come from? Where did this come from? I don't even know what this is. How did I even walk in these kind of blessings? It's because I quit trying to look for blessing and I started doing what Jesus said. You want to come on into the kingdom? Then live a kingdom life. And how am I going to live a kingdom life? I am going to be a servant. John chapter 13. We'll read a lot of verses here. So I'm going to read them fast. John chapter 13. Verse 1. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into his heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now wait a minute, wait. When, did, when was it already in Judas's heart? Before the supper ever started, he had already talked to the high priests. He had already made a deal to sell Jesus for a handful of silver coin. You say, why are you telling us that? Because it's important to the story that you understand that. Because the word says, first off, that Jesus loved them. Judas was a them to the end. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Even the one who it is already in his heart to betray him. He's already done. What's Jesus do? He shows himself a servant. See, a lot of times we think of feet washing, and I know it's really important in a lot of other uh, denominations. We think of fish wa- fish, feet washing as me and Ted's going to show that we're not better than the other. We're, we're, no one's better. So I'm going to get down and I'm going to show him I can humble myself and wash his feet. And then he's going to do the same. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't ask them to wash his feet. It was leadership. Dee and I had a, we've done this in a couple churches that we've pastored. I don't know why we ain't done it here yet. So I'd be here seven years and not done it. We told our, our elders, our, our, our boards, we're going to have a feet washing. I need everybody there tonight. 
and we had a feet washing. She and I got down and began to wash their feet. And when it was over, we had food ready and we had a meal. You said, well, that's backwards. I know that. We ain't that. Because we wanted them to know it was from the heads that we washed their feet. It's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't ask them to wash his. He said, me, son of God, getting ready to die for your sins, I will still wrap a towel around myself. See, in the church, we fight more about titles than we do about towels. I want to be called this. I want to be called that. I want to be... Well, you need to call yourself what you are. I know what I am. I don't need a title to tell me what I am. But we'd rather worry about titles than towels. Jesus said, I wrapped his towel around him and began to wash the disciples' feet. I'm in verse 5. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And Simon Peter said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said to him, what I am doing, you don't understand now. But afterwards you will. And Jesus said, you'll never, Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. You have no share with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands. And he said, man, just baptize me. If this is what it takes, just baptize me. My hands, my feet, everything about me. Verse 10, and Jesus said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. You imagine being Judas. Jesus just come by, looked you in your eyeballs, knowing what you had already done. Knowing what your, where your heart was at toward him, and he still gave up his own interest for yours. And he washed his feet, and Peter said, hey man, not just my feet, my hands, get my head, get, get everything about me. He said, look, you're clean, but not all of you are. Isn't it funny that him knowing, him knowing that not all of them were clean, he still washed his feet. But what we want to do as a kingdom is we want to sit back here and make our declares and our decrees. And I love dec declarations and decrees. We, we did it this morning. But, we, but he said about that word dominion in the ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible that it's not from here, a place of a throne. It's when we get down here and we get among people. You see, when you touch somebody... When you get down and you begin to wash their feet, and I know we don't do a lot of feet washing today. I mean, if you understood why they washed feet coming into a room, you'd, you'd, it'd be a whole lot of different. You see, you got to remember, all these men had already had their feet washed. They went into the room clean. But Jesus was showing them something else. He said, but not all of you are clean, verse 12. And when he had washed their feet, He put on his outer garments and resumed his place. 
He took his place back. He became their servant. Then he became savior again. He became king. See, just because we serve people doesn't degrade us or put us down or make us less than. You see, because after I serve you in whatever muck and mire you're in, I'm going to get up and I'm going to put back on the, the priestly robe the priestly robe that I wear and I'm going to go back and I'm going to take my place. Because I serve you in the muck doesn't disregard, doesn't dis, uh, 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 I don't get disavowed from my place in the kingdom. Uh, moving on. And he put on his outer garments and he resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right. For so, <coughs> excuse me, for so I am. If I then am your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. <coughs> but whose feet? Even the ones that had already in their mind betrayed you. Even the ones who had already decided your worth to them as a person. You realize that's what Judas did? He determined Jesus' worth to him was 30 pieces of silver. Even when they've already decided their worth, your worth to them, you'll still begin to wash and begin to serve. This is exercising dominion. This is going right into the enemy's camp. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. He said, look, I did this. You're not better than me. So if I did it, and if I served others, <coughs> excuse me, you can too. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now look at verse 17. If you do these things, if you know these things, if you know these things and you do these things, then blessed are you. You can't know them and not do them. The blessing comes when the knowing and the doing come together. I can't remember if it was Pastor Hagen or Brother Hagen said said the supernatural is when the natural and the miraculous 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 come together. See, the blessing is going to happen when we not only know we should be their servant, but we're acting as their servant as well. So, how do I act? Romans chapter twelve, verse nine. What should my life then look like, D? I want to read these. We're going to read them quick and then we're going to go back to them. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another in brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Did I tell you where I'm at? I'm in Romans 12. I I can't remember if I did. I started in verse 9. Romans 12, I started in verse 9, and I am all the way down to number 10. 
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another with showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is what you and I should look like. This is the blueprint of a kingdom life. I want to show you something. Go back to verse, uh, where did we start? Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Verse 10. Now, let's just go to abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. If you look at how these break down, two of those things on this list deal with how we, only two things on this list deal with how we serve God. The blueprint of a kingdom life, only two things out of this list deal with how we serve God. What are they? Verse 11, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. That's it. That's all he says in that whole list. In that whole list, that's all he says about himself. Six of these things are how we should conduct ourselves and the attitudes we should develop. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. This is about us. Don't be slothful in zeal. Not just don't be lazy. Don't be lazy when it comes to zeal, zealous, overexcited. (laughs) Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Not just patient. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. That's it. That focused on us. The rest of the nine things in that set of scripture is all how we deal with other people. The rest of the nine things in this scripture, go to verse 9. Let love be genuine. That has nothing to do with you. That's what you love others. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of others. Verse uh, uh, 13, seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. He goes on to say bless, but I I, I count this next part as a whole separate one. And do not curse them. Bless them. And do not curse them. Rejoice when those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In that whole list of kingdom blueprint living. Two of them deal with how we treat God. Six of them deal with the mindsets and attitudes that we should develop. And the rest of the nine deal with how we treat others. Tell me what's important to God. 
Tell me what's important. It's not, I can dance a pretty dance when praise and worship's going on. And I love to dance. Y'all know that. Well, I just shake. (laughs) It's not that I can shout a good shout. I can tongue a good tongue. I can heal a good heal. What's important is how I deal with others. And Jesus said, if you're not better than me, why don't you do what I do? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Probably didn't see this coming in finding our place in the kingdom. But if we're going to find our place, we've got to find out who we're supposed to be in that place. Right, Pastor? (coughs) Verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need that anyone write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Verse 10. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So their Thessalonians were killing it, man. They were doing it right. But we urge you, brothers, to do this. To do what? Love one another. Look what he says. But to do this more and more. They were killing it. They were crushing it. Paul said, man, I don't need to talk to y'all about love. You all are doing it to all the brothers throughout all of Macedonia. But I think we can do some more. Don't tell me that God is not interested in how we, how we treat people. We can sit up here and make our declaration and decrees all day long. But if I treat Jeff like he is somehow less than me because he hasn't arrived to the same understanding I've arrived, it doesn't matter what I stand up here and decree and declare. I am a noisy, noisy, noisy gong. Indeed, that's what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But I urge you, brothers... To do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly. And to mind your own affairs. Wait a minute. I got to come down here to Emily. In the muck and the mire and the sin she's living in. I'm going to wash that off her feet. And I can't even judge her in it. I can't even talk to somebody about it. He said, mind your business. Mind your own, serve, and then walk away knowing you've served God. Because when I serve you, I serve God. When I miss sleep for you, I do it for God. And because I'm driven by love. Let me read that again, can I? And to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs. Dee and I were talking about this the other day. I said, here's what's so sad that that has become in the church. Somebody comes to me and says, well, did you know that Bob is doing X, Y, Z? Well, you don't know whether I know Bob's doing X, Y, Z. You don't know the relationship me and Bob's got. Bob may be in my office three times a week crying his eyes out while I try to help him wash the muck and the mire off of his feet. And I say, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? What's it to you? 
What's it to you? Well, if you don't fix Bob's doing X, Y, Z, we may leave the church. So you're not willing to help. You just want to bang your chest and say, I have a right to know. No, you don't. I think it's what he said there, right? Mind your own affairs. Help. Get in the muck and the mire. Take your place back on the throne. And then mind your own business. Well, what if he's still doing it? What's that to you? You're not his savior. He's not sinning against you. He don't have to repent or apologize to you for nothing. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm getting loud. I'm getting preachy now. Live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands as you're instructed. Well, yeah, but there's righteous judgment. Now, we know that Jesus is our righteousness, right? And without him, there is how many righteous? Without him. So I need to realize, you know where my righteousness comes from? It's not even mine. And you know what? What Bob does, it's up to him to deal with and God and me as his pastor. As I you shouldn't have looked at me. You looked at me that one time and that was it. Uh, and me as his pastor, we'll sit down and we'll wash his feet. Well, I want to know what you're going to do about it. It ain't none of your business. Mind your affairs. Make sure your feet are clean. Make sure you're washed. Come on. Listen, I'm on a kick. This is how we grow a church. And I can't get away from it, Karen. So that you may walk properly before outsiders. There's the key. If I live quietly, I mind my own business, outsiders see it. Guess what they, guess what they also see? When I go back here and I tell uh, Todd everything that Bob's doing and how Bob's not right and how pastor should be dealing with this mess. I saw a t-shirt the other day. I want it. I'll start a GoFundMe for it, whatever. <laughs> I'm joking. You know what it said, Emily? Not my clowns, not my circus, but I know all, not my, not my monkeys, not my circus, but I know all the clowns. I want that shirt. Not my monkeys, not my circus, but I know all the clowns, and that's what we act like half the time. But he said, if you'll live quietly, you'll attend to your own affairs, you'll work with your hands, you'll do the things that you've been taught, you will be seen by outsiders. Well, why aren't more people coming to the church and getting saved? Because they see Christians. They see those who walk in the kingdom. And they can get that treatment anywhere. I'm telling you all. This is all I've been praying for three weeks now. So that you may walk properly before outsiders 
and be dependent on no one. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. I believe it's real. I believe this is kingdom living. We've, we've put all kinds of stupid stuff. In. Well, kingdom living is if you have the right card. Kingdom living is if you live in the right house. Kingdom living is if your bank account looks a certain way. No, kingdom living says I'll empty my bank account tomorrow. Say a word, God. I'll sell my house tomorrow. Say the word, God. I'll sell my car tomorrow. Say the word, God. Philippians 2, verse 3. And do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not to his own interests. I'm in verse 4. But also to the interest of others. Didn't say you weren't going to look at your interests. But not look only to your own interest. But also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be something to be grasped. King James Version says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's about what it says, right? He said, yeah, I'm equal to God. Guess what? So are we. We're his children, made after his image, made after his likeness. He said, but that's not what I'm focusing on. Why, how do you know? That's not what Jesus focused on. Look what he did in verse 7. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That is is the attitude of the king. And that is how we build. That is our blueprint for a kingdom life. And we can do it. John chapter 13, verse 17. John chapter 13, verse 17. If you know these things and do these things, you are blessed so we've heard it now we know it guess what our job is now let's go do it and if we know it and we do it blessing flows it's funny how blessing flows when we give out father we thank you for today we thank you for who you are and what you are in our life we glorify you in the beauty of your holiness father i'm asking for us to change I ask you, Holy Spirit, to begin to soften hearts and minds. Go to us in our beds and at night. Convict us. Let us repent. And let us become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.